0: Welcome to the Upshot, multi world disc golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I am the editor, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me is Josh Mansfield. And Josh, I I don't know if you can tell, but I'm I'm trying to get to your level of beard bearddom. I'm doing my best. I don't think I'm ever gonna get there, but I'm trying.
1: Look, just be warned it's a lot of brushes and product and <laughs> lotion and that skin man. you gotta keep it you gotta keep it hydrated with the beard there. So just be warned of this path that you're going down. okay, but it's well worth good, it. Good to know, good to
0: know. I'll, I'll come to you for my beard grooming tips. which oils <laughs> and creams to use. Um, so we uh, obviously we had the Waco annual charity open this weekend. Uh, and, you know, so much to talk about again. I, I, I love it. We've had a great start to this touring season. Um, I hope you're a subscriber because we did our rapid react show on Sunday. Uh, and it's really fun. Like people in the discord chatting real time, asking questions. Uh, and, uh, you know, we do basically do a full episode uh, immediately following every single Elite Series event. So we hope you become a subscriber and check that out. It's just four dollars a month to subscribe. You get lots of additional benefits. Uh, some exciting new stuff to come too. I, I, we have some cool stuff in the works that we're working on right now, about about ready to roll out. So, uh, and of course, you get our Upshot bonus segments every single week. So go to discgolfultworldcom subscribe to find out more. So Waco Annual Charity Open. Valerie Mondihano gets the win in FPO. Paul Macbeth takes it down in MPO. And uh, this is Valerie Montano's first Elite Series win, and that's where I want to begin today uh, and talk about her performance. And we mentioned this briefly in the uh, in the sub segment uh, on Sunday, but you know, one of the things that stood out to me about Valerie this weekend was just she got better over the course of the tournament, and she was very consistent across all facets of the game. Good off the tee, good on the green scramble was there and she improved four strokes from round one to round two and then four strokes again from round two into round three and ended up winning uh you know fairly comfortably after kristen tatar kind of blew up on hole 17 whereas Mount hano made one of the best shots of the tournament absolutely lacing a very difficult treacherous upshot through a crosswind throwing a backhand on a hole that had danger left and she just perfectly got the turn and parked the disc i mean i i would never throw a backhand there because i would just have absolutely no faith <laughs> i wouldn't put it in the water josh
1: <laughs> you know i it, It was truly an exceptional shot. And I think what's noteworthy, you know, when you talk about the improvement of strokes on on the weekend, logically, especially round one to round two makes a lot of sense. You know, round one conditions were terrible. She did a good job of minimizing mistakes and playing well, keeping herself in contention, but not doing too much in the round that was clearly the worst conditions of the weekend. Round two takes advantage of the relatively great conditions um, and able to score well, begin to move herself up. And then what really stands out to me, though, is that round three starts off okay, And then, as you mentioned, wind really starts to pick up by the end of the FPO round and they're back in the park section where they don't have that necessary coverage by the trees. And it was at that point that I that Valerie really impressed me down the stretch because she understood the pressure of the situation and where she was at relative to Kristen Tatar and other folks and played exceptional down that stretch into the wind, realizing, you know, in round one, she never takes that shot, even with the identical conditions of round three. But understanding the gravity of the situation and knowing and having the confidence and to take what was, like you mentioned, an exceptional shot demonstrated, I think, the kind of poise and confidence that overall reflects a really well-balanced game, both strategically
0: as well as with skills. I mean, Valerie Mondohana just keeps getting better. I I don't think we've seen her ceiling yet. I think the thing, the one thing that is holding her back a little bit right now is just distance off the tee on, on longer courses, you know, probably needs to pick up 50 feet of distance in order to just have, reach a few more of the longer par threes, put yourself in more attacking positions on some of the longer par fours. Um, but otherwise just has all of the tools. And here's what impresses me the most. Let's remember back to the last time that she was really in a position to win a big tournament. And technically, it wasn't an elite series and it wasn't a major, but the Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championship, it might as well be included in those stats. I personally am going to continue to advocate that like we consider it among those, despite the fact that it doesn't have PDGA letter by it. Like The PDGA needs to be pressured into putting status on that tournament even though like technically it's only an a tier it makes no sense to anybody but anyway she's in contention she's in the lead we go to hole 17 big time pressure shot uh at you know at usdgc course right at winthrop and you know she misses the island twice remember she goes to the drop zone she misses it again and like she's emotional like in tears mm-hmm. like disaster hole and you know she drops out of contention at that point point. Uh, and, and you know if she sticks the island she probably wins that tournament and so to come to another hole 17 with another shot that may as well have been an island you know like the way that that mm-hmm. hole was oh, playing yeah. with the conditions at the time may as well have been an island and just absolutely nail it even though there was really no pressure she didn't need to that's the other thing. Tatar had already laid up. Kristen had just pitched up to the to the to the edge there before she was going to attack down to the green and Mondahano had a stroke on her. So she could have just done the same thing. She could have said, "Fine, you know what? I'll just keep my stroke. We'll just, you know, I'll I'll go for the push and we'll we'll both get a par and fine." But no. Instead, she extends the lead uh ultimately by a lot because Kristen Tatar after that was totally shook. And threw a horrible forehand on her next shot that went like 20 feet. uh, And then, you know, left it short on on the next approach, missed the putt. So it ended up being a total disaster hole and Mondohana locked it up. But to have the confidence in a spot where, you know, not only is it the same hole number, but it's a very similar type of pressure shot. And to nail it this time, that is a sign of like mental maturity and progress as a player that you can't overstate. And I think that this okay. is like the kind of thing that you can look back on and ha- and it builds you up as a player for like literally the rest of your career. I'm very interested to see the trajectory of Valerie, Valerie Mondohano for the rest of the season. This is her first tournament. She did not play Vegas. Um, and, you know, how good can she be? If we look
1: at her stats from last year, I think that combined with what is clearly excellent talent in addition to as you mentioned i think that kind of confidence builder that is going to play a really big role going into this season i think that i mean the sky is the limit for valerie last year she finished in the top 10 i can't i had the number one uh i'll come back to that but what really impressed me let's talk just the texas stretch valerie goes 6th at Waco, 4th at the Open at Belton and 7th at Texas State Championship. Makes sense, right? Valerie's a Texas player. That that those courses seem to suit her well and suit her game especially with your mention of distance. But here's what's impressive to me, Charlie. She took the same finishing place, 7th at Texas State as she did at the Dynamic Discs Open, a course that requires distance, also taking 7th place. I think it's an exceptional, I mean, she plays well everywhere. Uh at Ledgestone, she took fourth. Um, Music City Open takes fifth. I mean, she plays eighth at Portland. It's clear that the woods are definitely her forte, but that's not to say that she can't succeed elsewhere because of, of an overall really well-rounded game. And honestly, if you ask Valerie, if you took a couple Elite Series wins in the woods and then finished top ten or even top five at long, you know, long bomber courses, are you gonna be okay with that? I think she's gonna tell you yes in a heartbeat. So
0: yeah, she she finished top 10 at seven tournaments last year. Uh, her uh, NT and elite uh, elite series mm-hmm. and majors. Uh, her best finish was Ledgestone fourth place. Um, so already
1: uh, throw pink was third. Uh, I don't yeah, know.
0: Well, it doesn't come up in the search when I do it that way. But yes, yeah, yes, th- I think so. that was her best tournament because not only did she finish in the podium, but she also was in contention for the win. Uh, right. So now she gets, you know, her first elite series win. And in in a fashion that I think is, it's not fluky, you know, she, Mm -hmm. she played better each round. She had to go head to head with one of the best players on the planet and beat her straight up. And, you know, to do it in that fashion, I think is, is very impressive. Um, Obviously, you know, Evelina Salonen was the, was the front runner this whole weekend, but just couldn't, just couldn't finish out the round and. Uh, or finish out the tournament you know two two really good rounds that she somehow you know continued to lead the pack despite having literally the worst putting performance at the tournament uh she was number one in strokes gained from t to green by a long way and Mm -hmm. dead last in strokes gained putting by a long way um you know evelina She's like, it's like she just, she has literally zero faith. The disc is going to go in. And so there's like absolutely no commitment whatsoever to trying to make the putt. And it ends up just meaning that she's missing, right? She's missing left. She's missing short. She's missing high. Like it's, it's just all over the place right now. Um, And, and I was thinking, you know, going into round three, because remember I picked Evelina to win this tournament. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe (laughs) that she's in a position to win right now, but I didn't really think that she was going to, because you can't, sustain that kind of putting over the course of multiple rounds to win a tournament. It's just not possible. And that's what happened.
1: You know, it's, I would like to see Evelina, not that, you know, I'm not a professional player by any means. Um, but I would like to see Evelina make a switch where she completely revamps her putting form and focuses on making 15 footers. I don't care if her form kills her distance, right? Maybe she can't make a putt outside of 25 feet. Not any different than right now, (laughs) Right. (laughs) right? Like might as well do something so that she creates a form that is replicable under pressure for 15 feet, 15 and maybe 20 feet as she improves. And maybe it means she sacrifices edge of circle putts. Maybe her form has just zero real power behind it to meaningfully make circle edge putts. But that's OK, because I think if she can
0: improve ev- from 20 feet in, she could have won this tournament. Well, I mean, I think definitely true. The the question is, is it actually a form issue or is it purely a confidence issue? Because we've seen Evelina be a great putter. It's not like it's not like she's a career bad putter. It's not like she's just always shooting 50 percent or worse from C1X. And there are some really good players in the game who do that. But that's not Evelina. She regularly shoots upwards of 80% from C1X. The issue is that she just doesn't have any confidence right now. And I, I, maybe changing will help that. I mean, in some ways, maybe just blowing it this weekend will take some of the pressure off where it's just like, okay, like I can't do worse than this. So like, let me just relax a little bit and, and just try to get the, try to throw it in. You know, like there's, I, I don't know what else you can do. Because it's not like it really is specifically a form issue. It's just there's no commitment to actually throwing the putt, and without that, it's impossible to make it. You know, and she she went 0 for 12 from circle two, and she went uh, 5 for 29 from circle one X. You know, like how you can't. There's only upwards to go from here. This is like the 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 the, the nader of the situation. so I, maybe cha- maybe a change will help just because it's a change
1: and, and and here's here's what I'll say that I think is is noteworthy. you're right like I it, we're gonna be hard pressed to see a worse putting performance this season than we saw this weekend. but even if it means that she puts better in rounds one and two, it's going to keep her from the contention from win because you can't blow pressure off forever, right? She's going to get back in the lead again because of how excellent of a player she is. And especially if she gets comfortable, she'll just get back into a lead. And then she just has to hope that her lead is so big, right? That it's just not even a concern that she has to putt, that she can just lay everything up and still win this tournament because otherwise, I mean, that, that pressure is going to come back. Um, and maybe it's not a, a form thing per se, but, you know, finding something that and, and and I'm speaking from personal experience here. I had a tournament. I was in first place after round one. Round two, get the yips. I missed five footers, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, like gosh. Could not like swinging from the hip. Like, I, I, I mean, this is when I first started playing. I was putting. I tried to mimic like Macbeth, right? Like everyone does. You look at the good players. So I changed my putt to literally I bring it to mid chest and just stab it at the basket. I couldn't make anything outside of 25 feet, but I didn't miss inside 25 feet because it just, I mean, I minimized every mechanic except just straight at the basket, nothing else to it. And it helped me, it helped develop confidence and a good putting routine. I'm not a professional. Evelina is significantly better than I am and I don't wanna sit here and give her advice on how to do it, but I would like her to see, do something to minimize mechanics, to minimize the possible mistakes that could be made in a putting swing when she gets the yips and hopefully she can then clean up 20 feet. Yeah,
0: it's just about doing something to re- rediscover the confidence there. So, right. Um, uh, let's talk about Paul McBeth. Uh, you know, <laughs> the last time he won this tournament was 2019. And he went on to just completely dominate the 2019 season. You know, one of his best seasons as a pro uh, mm-hmm. just tremendous, you know, was winning everything. And so you know the way that we've seen him start this year, coming out at the Memorial, just immediately round one, just being like boom, eleven hundred rated round, <laughs> and then you know to come out here at Waco where once he gets to round two, and he's still in the lead, and yeah, there's people close to him, but was there any doubt that he was going to win this thing? I mean, it, it just like you knew he was going to win it. And then he did, and he he was able to comfortably take bogeys on 17 and 18 and still easily win. Um, you know, this is just, it, it's very Macbethian. Like, he would, anytime he made a mistake, he would make some crazy shot to make up for it. You know, he either hit, hit a 50-foot putt, or he would, he had the scramble shot, like, way up over the trees, over OB, and he just sticks it right on the you know, five feet from the basket. I mean, it's like, how is he doing that stuff? But this is Macbeth. And then I think people forget how great he is. And this was just vintage Macbeth performance. I think this bodes very well for his season because pretty much he's doing everything except hitting his circle two putts with a high level of consistency right now. And if he dials that in, you know, he's just he's going to be even more than last season He's going to be there every single week at the top of the leaderboard because uh, you know to to see him crush it on a Heiser Fest Open Airspace course and then crush it at Waco. What more do you need to see to know that he's going to be tremendous again this year?
1: <laughs> right. Um. It it it's and we talked about putting being the thing last season that kind of held him back. He he was at eighty three percent Circle One X last season. Uh. In. For putting, which was good for 27th. And then Circle Two putts was 34% for third. He didn't put great in Circle Two, but he was at 91% for Circle One X this season. And I don't want to extrapolate and say, you know, that is indicative of the entire season. But last season, Edge of Circle putts, it was a question as to whether Macbeth was going to make it. And this tournament, it felt like a done deal. And he went
0: 30 for 33.
1: It, I, that's an
0: that's amazing i can't even imagine what that would feel
1: like to do in a tournament um it 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 really was i think mean, like you said a dominant performance wire to wire that and what's important i think luke Humphreys actually said it really well he, he's asked the question going into lead card final round and he says what is it going to take to win this tournament and he said i have to forget that it's paul Macbeth, kayla visca and chris dickerson who's on my card And that's going to be the best way because, you know, we as the fans watch and start talking about, well, who's going to take second place? So do players on his card, though. Absolutely. Players watch Macbeth shoot that and they say, great, I'm playing for second place now, right? Halfway through the final round, you know, those players were like, what is it going to do to take second place at this point? I need to start watching scores to see where people are behind me because I'm not getting first. So I might as well work on cashing in second place. 100%. And that's from crazy scramble shots. That's from not missing putting. When you see Macbeth out of position, right? With edge of circle, long circle one putt. And you know he's going to make it. Then the idea of, well, where am I ever going to make up strokes on him? Is it's it's a done deal. It's a foregone conclusion that he's going to make whatever he's throwing. And it's demoralizing. And it's punishing. (laughs) And it's... It, it's difficult, not just for the fans to really think that someone else can win, but it's difficult for the players. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, it, it, and it's not like he was perfect. You know, this wasn't, this wasn't 18 under Waco, Paul McBeth. <laughs> um, and it, you know, that's probably not even possible now with the, with the par changes that they made because he shot 18 <laughs> under. Uh, but you know, he opens up the final round with three pars. You know, goes OB on hole one, but then he cans a 50 footer to save par. Uh, and then, so, you know, it's kind of opening the door, right? With a couple pars to start mm-hmm. his round. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to shut the door. And then he birdies seven straight. <laughs> and it's like, okay. uh, it, You know, th- th- this is the best player in the history of the sport doing it again. And it's, it, he he hasn't lost a step. He has not lost a step. And it's it's after his, for him, a lackluster 2021 season. He comes on this show and says, you know, I am I'm committing to having a dominant year. I'm I'm dissatisfied with how I played last year. And I think the early returns are really positive for for Macbeth. Um, and, and, you know, he could have a special year again. It's it's very possible, especially because right now, look at the look at the other top competitors. Who's putting pressure on him right now? Really? Who's putting pressure on him? Eagle's not here. He's hurt. Calvin didn't show up to to contend this weekend hasn't looked super sharp to be honest the putter isn't there ricky finishes outside the top 10 at waco again over under w by the way good w thank you (laughs) uh and and i'm not saying that these players aren't gonna be there later this year but if you just look at these first couple tournaments, it feels more like Drew Gibson is the danger to Paul McBeth than the guys that we see at the top of the leaderboard all the time.
1: Hey, hey, hey! Pay some respect to Lou Humphries, I man. Get,
0: <laughs> you are, you are right, sir. You are right, sir. Let's talk about Lou Humphries. What? What? An well, amazing, real quick. Bef- okay, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Before we move on to Lou Humphries, there's one player. One other thing I want to highlight real fast about the, some of the names you listed. Uh, Calvin Heinberg, I want you to guess what was his circle one putting percentage at Waco this oh, this gosh tournament.
0: Um take take a guess. I felt like I didn't see him that much cuz he kind of wasn't up at the top uh you know for mm-hmm. the final round. Um I'll guess 80%. Uh you are wrong, sir. By quite
1: a bit actually. It is 54%. Yikes. <laughs> he was 25% in round 1. Yikes.
0: I mean it was windy out there. I I mean,
1: yeah, and Macbeth did 91% <laughs> yeah <laughs> like right i mean it was windy welcome to being a top professional where you have to make putts in the wind. Yeah, I,
0: I mean i hear you like i hear you i mean he's currently sitting at 69 c1x putting on the season and that's you know that's that's only seven rounds but that's 109th place 69 <laughs> percent, nice uh-huh. not so well nice. and
1: you know here's the other thing where's worlds at this year in the windiest place on earth <laughs> <laughs> right
0: we've officially changed the title of <laughs> to disc golf capital of the world to windiest place on earth
1: yeah so look like if, if calvin wants to be taken seriously this year as a important threat week in week out or at least an important threat at the majors something has got to be done with his potty
0: uh, yeah i mean again it's only seven rounds it but this this goes back to last season mm-hmm. it is an issue and it's the thing is you know he's first on tour and fairway hits and then he's second on getting to the green in regulation so it's not like his game is like weak right now overall it's literally just very mm-hmm. much concentrated on this one issue and but it's causing problems it's it is absolutely causing problems Cal- calvin
1: had the highest percentage of circle two in regulation at waco at 80 percent. I was eight eight percent better than Paul McBeth. That's amazing. Fairway hits tied with James Conrad for top at eighty three percent. Paul McBeth was down at seventy six percent. Yep. He had the numbers. Yep. Granted, he had a zero percent scramble rate, but it's probably because he couldn't make a putt after he scrambled.
0: Uh, yes. <laughs> so he went. He went fourteen for twenty six from circle one. Um, and you know, his circle two putting is fine. He's at 20%. It's, it's very much a specifically like an inside the circle issue. Um, mm-hmm. and something to keep an eye on because if he can clean that up, you know, he can be great. He only went OB twice, yeah. which is really impressive considering the conditions this weekend. He was 10th uh-huh. from, in strokes, gain T to green, but he was 94th in putting. So Yeah. Is what it is. So we'll see what happens. Uh, let's talk about Luke Humphreys. Let's talk about Luke. Let's Humphries. talk about Luke Humphreys. Because
1: Humphries. now let's give this guy some respect. You know,
0: one is a fluke, two is a trend, uh, or <laughs> maybe three is a trend. I don't know, but we're gonna we're gonna see now two back to back top five finishes for Luke Humphreys. It on very 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 different styles of golf. He's here for real. I, mm-hmm. I think we have to say that he's here for real, and. I'll be interested to see how he does on some of the longer courses, like the truly longer courses, like your OTBs and type places, because he doesn't have elite distance. But so far, I've been super impressed with Luke Humphreys. It's like just he just the disc goes exactly where he wants it to go. It's awesome. Uh, and his putting great, he just looks like an all around much better player than we saw last season. I, it doesn't feel like a fluky thing at this point. Uh, I'm ready to, to buy myself some Luke Humphrey stock. I, you know, I wish I'd scoop some up after LVC.
1: Uh, me too. I, when you see someone play that well at LVC though, you just, you think, wow, that's, you know, great. See you next year, at LVC. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it really does feel like though that Lou Humphreys is the real deal and is going to be here to contend. I I really want to see. Uh, look, Waco and LVC are more important this year because of the early major. But when you get at the end of the season, no one is really talking about wait. You know a, a top five Waco LVC finish in the conversation of you know how well you did. It, we already, and still from last season, go to stats and pull up finishes. And we say, yeah, they finished like fourth at Waco. Oh, but third at MVP. Oh, but third at Ledgestone, right? There are courses that demand retention and respect because of the long and storied history of the tournaments at those courses. And Waco and LVC aren't it. The two together bode well for him, but I want to see performances at the majors, DDO,
0: Ledgestone, MVP, GMC. Think about the fact that you are like, like you you've elevated Luke Humphreys to be like, well, what have you done at the majors? I mean, that's a major no, uh, upgrade for Luke Humphries, That is true. Right? It is. We've never talked about Luke Humphreys on this show before this year. I don't think I've literally ever even maybe said his name, and. Now you're like, well, show me what you can do with the majors, bro, which, you know, (laughs) not that I really disagree with that. I think that if you want to be considered an elite disc golfer, like you do have to do more than play well two tournaments to start the season. But but I think what we've seen is like clearly that this guy has tremendous talent Mm -hmm. and now it's translating into results in a meaningful way because he's putting putting in the work. You know, he's been he's been practicing the putting. It's like very evident that he's gotten better at that. And, you know, you I think he'll have some takeaways from this, too. You know, he opens up the final round with a double bogey and a bogey going out of bounds twice. And like he wasn't he wasn't going out of bounds all that much this weekend. He only went out of bounds four times. And I think that's just like lead card final round pressure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, the wind was tough, but I, I think it. If that doesn't happen right that's three strokes he gets back well and assuming even just that he gets par no birdies and that's that's the that's the margin that he ends up losing by um it could have been a very different story if he doesn't make those mistakes early because it once those happened it was like okay this is Macbeth's tournament it's over um and so i think it's it's good to get into that spot and actually be in contention to act to win the tournament because mm-hmm. it's just the same way with Valerie Mondejano, you know, makes a mistake last year, steps up big this year. This is the kind of thing that can set Luke Humphreys up for success in the future where it's like, hey, I just got to remind myself to like take that deep breath and just keep doing my thing uh, and and not get overwhelmed by the pressure of that moment. And, uh, you know, look, I, I, I was just su- I'm, I'm super impressed by what we've seen so far from him.
1: And I am too. I Don't get me wrong. I think this season already has been a tremendous success, even if he does fall off. Uh, and But but here's kind of where I want to temper expectations a little bit. He's 10-16 rated right now. Sure. Praxis in the offseason, has two great tournaments. Bodes really well for the future. Yep. But let me ask you this, Charlie. Let's say he jumps 10 points at the next ratings update. I don't think he'll jump that far, but let's say he does. And he gets up in the 10-20 range.
0: He's, cl- he's playing many? 1040 golf right now. I think he's actually averaged uh, 1050, a little over 1050 through these first two tournaments. But Okay, yeah, all right. So go ahead. But, but here's here's about the point that I'm about to make. How many 1020
1: guys do we see in the field right now who have two, three tournaments where they shoot 1040 golf, 1050 golf, and we say, wow, they're playing really well, and then they fade back into the 10, 10, 1020 club? Yep. Let, let me give you some names, right? The people that are in the ten twenty club that we talk about when they play well for a couple of tournaments and then fall back off. You got Paul Ulibarri, Corey Ellis, Thomas Gilbert, Jeremy Colling, Nathan Queen, Colored Allen, yeah. Andrew Fish. Right? I mean, they're they're guys who show up who play tournaments really well for a couple se- stretches because at ten twenty you could win a tournament. Colton Montgomery has a win a lot, a lot uh, of
0: times. It's not that these players are consistently ten twenty players. They're inconsistent. Sometimes they shoot (laughs) 1040 and sometimes they shoot 1010 or a thousand. Right. That's why their rating is lower than the players up in the 1040s and 50s who are more consistently executing at that higher level.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's getting to the point that our 1030 club is even a bit saturated. You know, Simon Lazat is still a 1030 rated player. Andrew Presnell is a 1030 rated player who we don't see challenging for wins week in, week out. I think Luke Humphries already has an amazing success this season that he can hang his hat on. And if he then goes and plays top 20 golf the rest of the season, I still think that's an amazing improvement and is an astonishing storyline and should qualify him for breakout player of the year. No doubt.
0: No doubt. I mean, he's 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 already obvious front runner at this point.
1: (laughs) Oh, without a doubt. But like I said, before I'm ready to say. Oh, Luke Humphreys is the guy we need to be putting in our top three every week. <laughs> I want to sure. see the resume I, of, of that, course that agree. has a little bit more. I, I don't. So. I don't
0: know that I'm going to sl- start slotting him in right away. You know, we get an, we get an even more wooded course this weekend, and I think he can be successful. I mean, he he showed I think he so showed too. skills in the woods this weekend. So let's see what happens. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. something interesting to keep an eye on. So, uh, really quick, let me run down the top ten. Okay. Um. So obviously Macbeth and Humphreys at the top. Macbeth winning by three strokes. Then you got Chris Clemens, Joel Freeman, Thomas Gilbert, Aaron Gossage, Kayla Visca, Isaac Robinson, Chris Dickerson, Alex Russell, and Nicola Castro. It's a very interesting group of players. Uh, it's a little <laughs> over an FPO, Mondohano Tatar, and then Katrina Allen, who was unbelievable in the final round, uh, eight under, mm-hmm. thousand plus rated round. Uh, Kat Merch, Ones Goggins, Hannah Blomroos, Macy Vela Diaz, Paige Pierce, Evelina Salinen, Maria Oliva, and Holly Finley. A little bit more of kind of the known names, but some still some interesting players up in the top 10 that you don't often see in the top 10. Um, mm-hmm. My question to you, Josh, why does Brazos East seem to deliver these lesser-known names to the top of the leaderboard? What about this course? Because this is more than just this season. We've seen unusual winners at yes. this tournament for many years. We've seen you know, diverse top 10s. This is not just your typical... 10 40 and 50 guys ranging in the top 10 with a couple of outside names like this is mostly outside names so what about this course is making that happen
1: I believe that at its you know at its heart it is distance it's a course that does not require exceptional distance and I think that at this level you can have any of your ten twenty guys, any of those ten twenty guys on any given weekend can throw a 200 foot shot through a tunnel in the woods. Yes, it's hard to do consistently. Uh, and that's why there are some guys who take bogeys or double bogeys on that short hole. Um, but it, 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 every one of these guys have the skill to par that for three rounds at tournaments like OTB and Portland, and I mean, even Ledgestone or GMC or Maple Hill, not every guy has the capacity to throw it 600 feet or 550 feet. And our solution in a lot of courses and on tour has been to prioritize and reward the farthest throwers who can throw accurately. And that's something that begins to filter out. And I mean, that's just when you look at our rating, our rating reflects those players who do that really well, because our tournaments have moved more and more. And as we continue to increase the pro game, we continue to increase the distance required in order to be successful on tour. And so that's what rating reflects. And that's what the consistency that we talk about reflects is those guys who can throw that. And, you know, Brazos East does not require that distance for most of the holes and so it's guys who come and play three consistent solid week rounds of golf. And I think it's also noteworthy that uh, Waco typically delivers lower rated wins than other tournaments. You don't have guys shoot you know 10, 60, 10 70 rounds nearly as often. Paul Macbeth won with a 1049, I believe i I have to go back and check my notes real quick. Um, but you know so 1049 is the winning score. that's not out of this world right or winning rating yeah Um, his
0: final round was 1047 uh these are unofficial numbers still uh he shot mm -hmm. 1075 1055 1047 so yeah you can do the math there it's probably around 10 high 1050s average uh which you know is good but a lot of tournaments you got to shoot 1090 to win
1: Right, right, right. And and the distance prevents you from scoring. The lack of distance means that the scores can only really get so low. Yeah, you uh, don't get the separation
0: beca- for the longest throwers the same way.
1: Exactly. So you take away one of those yeah. separating factors, and it means I, that guys who p- are ten twenty can just get shaken into I, that top I, 10.
0: I fundamentally agree with your assessment. And, and in fact, I feel that we need more courses like this on tour. I think... You know, the trend, particularly last season, you remember we add these new, you know, OTB and like everyone is like, oh, I want to have the longest course on tour. I want to have the hardest, Mm -hmm. longest course on tour. Yo, chill, everybody. Chill. (laughs) Like we don't need that every week. We really don't. I don't think it's a good thing when you design a course that's only winnable by like four players. I'm okay with that occasionally. I really am. Mm -hmm. I think it's fine to have a couple courses where having Eagle McMahon level distance with forehands and backhands means that you have a 25 to 40 percent better chance to win. And yes, Eagle deserves to win tournaments because he has that skill better than other players. But you know what? We also need to have courses that reward an all around game like this one. Mm hmm. Almost not every hole, right? There are some separators, right? 18, of course. You know, Kevin Jones was the only player to get across the water on hole 18 on the final day. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that water carry is a distance separator, 100%. right? Luke Humphreys basically had second place completely locked up. His only chance to try to put pressure on McBeth was to try to go over the water. And he still didn't do it because he just knew that he wasn't going to make it. It was yeah. just too far. And, and so that's a good hole because it does reward distance. It's the last hole. It's exciting, uh, 17, 18. What a great, like, I feel like a lot of courses have done a really good job of building in a couple excellent closing holes. Um, mm-hmm. but most, most of the holes on that course are reachable by everyone. Yeah. And then you have, uh, 50 is it 15, the long tunnel hole. That like no one is birdieing uh, because the t pad's too far back and like no one can reach it. <laughs> like that one it, it is needs, they need to move the t pad up so that you have more players who can you know actually get all the way to the green uh, and attack. So I would like to see more courses like this on tour, not fewer. Mm-hmm. the 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 diversity of the top of the leaderboard at Waco shouldn't be seen as some random. Like, oh, Waco is weird and fluky. Well, no, <laughs> Waco is like the only cor- like tournament on tour that has a mixed park and woods type layout that mostly doesn't require elite distance in order to score. And there's just not many other courses like that. Sure, there's other wooded courses that are just like dense woods, but that's a different skill than the kind of more mixed all around type course that most of the world's disc golfers play all the time. Like, I would say that's the kind of course I play 90% of yes. the time. And you know what? Being able to win on those courses should be a a skill that is tested more often. So I, I just want to uh, shout out Waco for that. And, you know, even regardless of what happens in the future with tournaments on tour, if, if they decide not to come back to Waco, although why would they do that? I mean, they just sold the tournament out and had... <laughs> you know, exciting results. And, uh, you know, maybe the weather is a little sketchy, but, uh, this, this tournament belongs on tour and we need more courses like it. I, I want to see us move away from the trend of just stretching everything out longer and longer and longer all the time. There's a time and a place for that, but, uh, too many courses are going in that direction right now.
1: And and here's the other thing that we should add to that is that, Remember this is very similar to what Worlds was like. I mean there was a golf course but it was shorter, right? If the golf course feels more park style and then the fort I mean it is woods but it's not it's not Northwood, it's not you know GMC uh, uh at uh Brewster Ridge. Like it, it's not as bad as some of the other courses. So I feel like Worlds represents two courses that do something very similar to what Uh, Waco did and and, and everyone said, you know, oh, these don't feel like professional level courses. These aren't these aren't the, the types of courses that should be hosting worlds. We heard that a lot during worlds from both players and spectators. Uh, and I I wholeheartedly disagree. I like you said. I think you need more courses on tour like that. And at the end of the day, you know, some might say, well, that then that that's that's too fluky or it it doesn't create the separators. But at the end of the day, look at Worlds, right? What were the finishes? Right. James Conrad, Paul Macbeth, Nate Sexton, Chris Dickerson, Kevin Jones, Greg Barsby, Ricky Wysocki, E. McMahon, right. Kale Lavisca, Kyle Klein. There's your top ten. <laughs> Tell me how that's different. Right.
0: But you see a couple other guys tournament. in there, Kale barsby sure who are yep. not you know distant specialists but over five rounds the great players are going to float to the top regardless of the course that you put them on yes waco being a three-round course a three-round tournament well there's m- more opportunity for variance because of that uh
1: but the other thing i'll add is imagine if there were three or four wacos on tour I would be willing to bet that more practice and more time spent on those courses means that those 1040 and 1050 guys, instead of, you know, two or three of them in the top 10, it becomes five or six of them in the top 10. And it becomes more consistent because that's a course that people are playing and a style that people are practicing and preparing for. Whereas here it's like, yeah, you know, we've got Waco and then we move on to everything else. Yep.
0: Yep. I mean, Ricky finishes outside the top ten again. We'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Upshot. The Upshot is presented by Pound Disc Golf. Makers of the best bags in the sport. And you know what? If you want to get the custom pack that you envision in your mind's eye, the pack of your dreams, You can do it at any time. Go to pounddiscgolf.com and you can get your custom Octothorpe, your custom Octahall, your custom Carlton, your custom toolbox, and their custom pack builders are now open all the time. No more waiting for drops or hoping that you get lucky. You can just go build your pack. You can tinker with it for a while before you hit the order button, but you can check it all out on their website and you can just design it exactly how you want from the zippers to the main flap to the bottom of the pack. Exactly what you envision. PoundDiscGolf.com. Welcome back to the upshot. So, we talked about the interesting top 10. How about some players that finished outside the top 50, Josh? You ready for the list? I've looked at this a little bit, it, it, it's brutal, man. <laughs> Let's let's look at some of the names. Adam Hammes, Ezra Aderholt, Corey Ellis, Ben Calloway, who had an amazing second round. And then just he shot 15 strokes worse in the final round. Uh, Simon Lazat, Nathan Queen, uh, Tristan Tanner, Brody Smith. A lot of good players outside the top 50. And to me, this speaks to the requirements Mm -hmm. of success at Brazos East. The same way that, you know, distance is minimized, you also have the fact that you've got to get off the tee clean. Mm-hmm. If you if you shank your drives, you're going to be in a world of hurt because there's OB and there's thick woods and there's lots of ways for things to go wrong and it's easy to take double I mean everybody's taking double bogeys. You don't see top pros take a lot of double bogeys, but everyone was taking double bogeys this weekend because if you get out of position it can be very difficult to get back without having to just pitch out. Um, and uh, you know, there's lots of t- ways to kind of compound mistakes. It's a, it's a very interesting course for that reason.
1: It, it really is. And I mean, you looked at, I looked at some of those names and it's, it's just crazy to think that the disc golf pro tour champion finished outside the top 50 and did not cash at this tournament. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's brutal. Um,
0: uh, to me, that just speaks to how amazing it was that Nathan Queen won the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship. But,
1: I, how amazing it was that Nathan Queen made it to the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship? Like, I love it. <laughs> what a great story. What a great... Okay, Charlie, here's the question for you. Most nice. surprising... And I remember this very distinctly. Um, when I Before I was on the show, you and Jamie asked the question, most surprising win in you know recent memory... Of, on the Disc Golf Pro Tour or, you know, an Elite Series event. And both of you immediately mm-hmm. said James Conrad, USDGC. Right. Not yeah. having a forehand. So here's my question for you. <laughs> James Conrad, USDGC, Nathan Queen, Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship.
0: Well, I, I think at this point we have to revise the answer because James Conrad has proven at the majors that he's going to be competitive. Um, I still think it's incredibly impressive. Like... The- <laughs> Mind-blowingly impressive that James Conrad, basically with no forehand, was able to win USDGC. But Nathan Queen, to go through the gauntlet that is the Pro Tour Championship, and where a single bad round knocks you out, for him to go through all that, not only to reach, if he just reached a final, it would have been impressive. For him to then go out and win the thing, that is, in recent memory, that is easily the most impressive thing we've seen. I think so too. It is. Yeah. It really is. Um now uh what I want to do right now, Josh, mm-hmm. is take a look at some like evaluating some performances through two tournaments. Because now we got, you know, we got a little bit of a sample size. Yep. <laughs> Maybe not a ton, but a little bit. And uh, you know, right now, Luke Humphreys, top of the Pro Tour standings. <laughs> Talked about this in our rapid reacts. Uh, fourth and second at LVC in Waco. Mm-hmm. And of course, the winners of each of those tournaments on the MPO side have only played one event. So, uh, Macbeth and Drew Gibson only have the 100 points that they earned. Luke Humphreys sitting up uh, about 40 points ahead of Calvin Heinberg uh, with 151.5 points through two tournaments. So, uh, you can make the case that Luke Humphreys is the top player so far this season. I don't think I put him at the top of my power rankings, but. He's certainly up there, uh, easily a top 10 player right now. Let's talk about some of the other players that we haven't already discussed. Um, Gannon Burr, after his second place finish LVC, finishes 25th at Waco. Uh, impressed? Not so much. <laughs> I'm oh
1: sorry sorry right sorry I thought I thought you were making the observation I, okay here's my answer Charlie no. impressed eh, not so much <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, I, I realized the way that I said that made it come across that way
1: so so that's my answer but, um it, look second place at LVC was amazing but right afterwards we started asking is it more likely that he does or doesn't finish on the podium for the rest of the season and both of us agreed that it's more likely that he does not finish at the top uh, on the podium again. Uh, for the rest of the season, and you know, Waco is that's fluky, you know, whatever we want to call it, but it doesn't bode well for him. So,
0: yeah, I' it, interesting. I, I I think we'll see what happens with with Gannon. No, yeah. I'm 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 still high on the on the sixteen year old. Uh, well, but uh, you know, I, I he he certainly expressed a lot of confidence going into Waco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, top twenty five. I think if he finishes top twenty five all season long then that's really impressive so that's fair that's fair that's where i'm gonna start with i think Gilbert?
1: i sorry one last thing on gannon burr sure i just want to let me check this real quick um but i'm pretty sure let me pull him up so last year he finished 11th at waco though like we know he can play well at waco he just didn't sure so anyway Uh, I won't, I won't extrapolate too much on that. Thomas Gilbert was your next question.
0: Yeah. 10th and fifth LVC and Waco. One of just two players who's finished in the top 10 at both tournaments. And that's true. The other is Luke Humphries.
1: That fifth place is already his best finish
0: is better than his
1: top finish last season. He had ninth place finish last season. Uh, already better. (sighs) Uh, Look, I was ready to get all on and I did jump on the... Th- I tried to jump on the Thomas Gilbert hype train last season. Last off season. Yes. Mm-hmm. I really tried to and then I got hit by that train um, and it was brutal because he did not play well for most of the season. Almost all of the season. I, a couple of... Like, yeah, one or
0: two good finishes. Kind of like a lost year it felt it like. It really
1: did. Um, look, I, I am not willing to get my heart broken again like that and so I have a hard time getting too hyped about this, but I will say this is already significantly better than last season. And so I have very, very cautious optimism about Thomas Gilbert. Granted though, he wasn't really in contention to win on either of those weekends, you know, kind of felt like he jumped, snuck into there. Didn't see a lot of him, but cautious optimism. That's, that's what I'm going to say. Good
0: peripheral stats though. You know, like uh, yes, putting pretty well, 86, 27, getting in getting inside the circle um you know 12th on tour right mm-hmm. now I I think there's reasons to be optimistic yes. so I, I think it's warranted um are you worried about Ricky Wysocki? seventh 12th uh historically has not played very well at Elvis or at uh, waco mm-hmm. uh hence the over under this week and he does finish outside the top 10 are are you worried about Ricky right now or is this just uh you know waco doing the waco things that it seems to do to ricky Uh,
1: you you know what did he what did you say 12th and what
0: were his finishes seventh seventh at lvc
1: seventh at lvc okay um i mean look his his stats last season were fifth at lvc and 11th at waco
0: like pretty pretty
1: similar the guy's got a new bag he had a
0: and he had a great year. Yeah,
1: and then he had a great year because he wins Open a Belt and win Texas State and then wins Jonesboro. So, I think the next right. three tournaments are going to be a little bit more telling. Um I agree with that. Just if we're following how last season went, but uh, you know, like you said, his putter got better. It it um it, it's better. It's I'm not ready to worry about Ricky yet. Um Sure. Yeah. The other DD star signing I am.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Joel Freeman uh, didn't play LVC finishes third at Waco Joel Freeman. is like kind of been sneaky, really good for the last few months. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we're coming out of the off season, but like he played pretty well last year, especially towards the end of the season mm-hmm. when he had a bunch of top tens down the stretch. Um, he was third at Idlewild eighth at Delaware, seventh at MVP ninth at the match play championship fifth at USDGC made the quarters at the tour championship. Um, and, you know, now he opens up his 2022 season with a top three. Uh, are we looking at like Innova's next big star player here? I mean, it's starting to feel like Joel Freeman needs to be kind of looked at a little bit closer, closer uh, the way that he's been playing. It,
1: it really was a, I think it's a confidence builder for me and Joel Freeman because he has that demonstrated past last season at the end of the season, you know, in a world of a wraparound tour where you have two silver series in the November area and then open LVC, and he actually attends LVC, you know, he didn't this year, uh, but attends LVC very quickly. I think it's easy to see. Like, I, I think there would be a lot more hype around Joel Freeman in the world of a wraparound tour. Like, like you said, that offseason kind of kills his momentum in the public perception, but that doesn't change the fact that over the last, you know, 10 tournaments, Joel Freeman has been one of the top and most consistent players uh from it's the group true. especially that we didn't expect to to see quite at that level. And so I think it's really impressive. I'm pretty sure the that Joel Freeman doesn't have the kind of distance necessary to be to to contend for a win at something like OTB or Portland. Um but I think that's a, like he's, you know we've talked about that's okay. Uh, if he plays well at Texas States and then Jonesboro, and then you know still finishes top tens in the distance courses before moving into kind of the the Midwest stretch, then I think that's that's
0: great results. Don't knock him too much. Eighth at OTB last year, like I said, top 10. Sixth at Belton. He's, he's if, got he's got he's got the all around skills necessary to be successful on tour. I think the knock for sure is that he's uh, you know he was he was 113th in Circle One X putting last year. So, you know, that, that has to improve, <laughs> but, um, it's up a little bit. He such 76% this weekend. Didn't make a single circle to putt though. Yikes. uh, you know, the fact that he was successful despite the lack of putting, um, again, I think that speaks to Waco and how you can get into tap in range mm-hmm. for birdie on a lot of holes. If you're throwing it well, you can't do that on a um, lot of courses. And we saw that with Evelina, right? And, and it's true. You, you Often you're going to have to be able to make those putts from the edge of the circle because it's hard to get up there close. Um, how about Kyle Klein? A little bit of a shaky start for him. 24th at LVC, 16th at Waco. Uh, any concerns about about uh, the young Klein who just got moved up to the top disc mania that, team?
1: You know, about, about the 16-year-old Gannon Burr, you said if he finishes top 25 the rest of the season, then that's a successful season. Uh, Kyle Klein's 19, I think right 1819 uh, if he finishes top 15 the the problem is, is that Kyle Klein is a victim of his own like the of, of the expectations yes. placed upon him if yes. Kyle Klein goes 16th 15th you know top 20 all season long not a, with a couple of lead card appearances maybe one or two up in you know better tournaments or a win uh, again that's a successful season for Kyle Klein there's there's nothing wrong with that in a field that mm. continues to grow in depth and competitiveness yeah
0: I don't know. I feel like it's going to be seen as a disappointment, though, because of his capacity. I mean, he's an elite series winner.
1: uh, Yeah, yeah, but how many guys are elite series winners, right? Like this, this field is deeper than it's ever been before. Um, Where where does Kyle? Let me pull up real quick. Uh, I want to look at his rating relative to
0: um, the rest of that field and see where he kind of slots. Linus Carlson, but, by the way. What, yeah, what yeah, go hell? ahead. Uh certain, currently 16th place in the Pro Tour standings. 17th and 21st. We're about to get some more Europeans joining the tour at Texas States. Nicholas Antila, among others. So that's about what I expected from the Europeans so far on the MPO side. And really on the FPO side. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, very much to the levels that I anticipated. So I, I feel like, you know, the whole question's about like, do the ratings line up with our, with their actual skill sets? I think so far that's just about mm-hmm. right. And, and don't forget, we have the Europeans coming over soon who are
1: ones that we're really excited about. I mean, Nicholas Antilo, for example, coming sure. over.
0: Reigning reigning uh, European yeah, champion.
1: I think it's going to be an exciting one to watch. So I, you know, I might have to walk back a little bit with Kyle Klein. He is in the 1040 club. Uh, yeah that's,
0: that's what i'm saying the, the dude is the dude has been one of the better players on tour right. so i feel like it, this is a little lower down than we should expect to see from him i mean i i agree that expectations are high but th- those are warranted <laughs> by the way that he's been playing the last that's couple
1: true years. i that's he he is he's a little underperforming i'm not ready to sell my kyle klein stock yet
0: that's 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 oh, probably no, the uh, answer be the mistake. best way i would put it <laughs> <laughs> that would be a mistake um all right, let's take a look at the FPO side. Uh, obviously, Katrina Allen is playing fantastic. She's she's at the top of the uh, DGPT standings mm-hmm. right now. 175 points after a first and third place finish. Uh, Waco, I mean, she had a chance to get up into the mix and just like one bad hole took her out of real chance to win, mm-hmm. but uh, a great final round nonetheless. Kristen Tatar in second place, Paige Pierce in third place. And I got to say it. I think we're just about at the point where it's time to say that Paige Pierce is not number one on tour right now. We're real close. Has Kristen Tatar or, or Kat taken that slot at this point for you, Josh?
1: I Paige should skip Waco. Paige should just quit playing this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she keeps coming back to it. Um <sighs> I don't have a clear number one in my head, but I am willing to say that I don't think Paige is like I. I Paige isn't even my head, like my yeah, maybe not the clear number, you know, as far ahead, but she's still number one. Like I, I truly think that these three, any given weekend, any one of those three could win, and I do not. I, look, I said it in what was it the post LVC show. Uh, I don't think Paige is going to win four elite series events this year. I think, or if she does, it's going to be closely matched by Katrina and Kristen. It's going to be three players with four Elite Series wins. The gap is smaller than, it, than it's been in a long time um, mm-hmm. in ratings. Katrina is playing. In ratings and in field. And in feel, correct. That's, that's exactly what I was about to get to. Katrina just feels like she's on top of her game, and Kristen's playing like it too. So, yeah, I, I do not give Paige just my clear number one.
0: One of the things that's really interesting to keep an eye on. Paige Pierce has never had a great forehand. Mm -hmm. And other players are developing forehands as a real weapon. And is that going to start to cause problems for Paige? One of the things that you'll see from both of these tournaments to start the year. She's gone OB a lot. I think she led both tournaments. I just looked it up for Waco. I'd have to go back to LBC. But I'm pretty sure it's true. She led the top 10 in ob strokes le- leading in the in the bad way had more ob strokes than any other player in the top 10 at both tournaments the imprecision whether that's off the t or on approach whatever you however you want to draw it up it's been a problem it's been the problem mm-hmm. arguably and and she's long had this reputation but you know if you can't get away with it anymore you got to start to clean that up So pretty interesting to see. I mean, obviously still a tremendous player. She's still going to win tournaments. She's still ultra talented. There's going to be courses where she's very difficult to beat. Um, But I think uh, it's it's certainly we're at the point where you have to say that she certainly she's not been the best so far this season. How much credit you want to give her for the past is the question right now. But I, I think we're starting to see that we could have another player take over the mantle as number one this year and I think it's not it's very reasonable to argue that either Kristen or Katrina deserves that slot right now
1: Steve Dodge said something in our interview that I cannot get out of my head uh, especially in relation to Paige Pierce he said that courses that are MPO courses that you just add an extra stroke to par and stick the women on it means that the women are playing a completely different sport than the men, where distance is everything. Other players are beginning to catch up to Paige's distance, or at least close the gap. Sure. And courses are being designed more with... Or at least the FPO pads are being designed with FPO in mind, right? It's no longer if a tournament just throws an extra par on, they get roasted for it. And Waco, I don't think, does a lot for an FPO layout, but because of the fact that it isn't a distance course to begin with, I think makes it a little bit more justifiable. Yeah, right? it,
0: sets up, it sets up pretty fair. Yeah, exactly.
1: So so that being the case, and courses, I think you're seeing the gap close on both directions. And I have asked myself more times than I can count, in a world where disc golf develops equally in parity in terms of courses for both the men and the women's game where you have good layouts for both of them since you know the year 2000 and up and that's just how the female the the women's game developed what would Paige's legacy be and would it be what it is today well it's it's the one of the biggest what ifs you can possibly ask right i'm not going to answer it's a big what if But
0: and let's you know, let's acknowledge that Paige Pierce is the greatest FPO player ever to play the game. She is, she is.
1: But she is playing a game where distance, where having long distance changes the way the FPO get to play it because of how courses have been designed, right? Sure.
0: But I think she also just had a skill set that was so far above mm -hmm. and beyond other players for so long that it didn't. I I don't think it would have mattered what course you put on,
1: and probably not, and probably not. It's something I can't get out of my head, and this year feels like maybe we're catching up and the gap is closing yeah. in both directions. It
0: does. It does. We are seeing the gap close. I agree. How about Cap merch sitting in fourth place in the pro tour standings right now after two top 10 finishes at the first two events of the year. That's pretty spicy.
1: It is pretty spicy. You know, Charlie, I thought you had really good thoughts on this in the subscriber bonus because I, I wasn't quite, I, I think same way with Thomas Gilbert, I saw it as caut- cautiously optimistic, but I think you had a, a better take on that about, kind of Cat Merch's potential.
0: Well, I mean, I just she's still so young. I mean, I think the thing that you have to remember is that she's you know barely been on tour at this point and you know she has shown real skill uh very promising start for Cat Merch. That's uh, I I I await to see what happens. But, you know, if Cat Merch had pl- finished a little bit higher, maybe we're talking about her like we we're talking about Luke Humphrey's right, right now. Uh, but hasn't really been in contention to win. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Evelina Salanen, top 10 finishes, but, uh, <laughs> it, 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 we, we know there's more in the tank for Evelina. Um, Missy Gannon own Scoggins next in the standings, you know, playing fine. Uh, I don't think there's anything remarkable there so far. Uh, Valerie Mondohano sitting in eighth, Ella Hanson sitting in ninth after sixth at LVC 17th at Waco, you know, Ella Hanson's on, on full-time tour now. And uh, I mean, is top 10 where you think Ella Hansen will be at the end of the season?
1: I'm doing some quick counting in my head.
0: Uh, well, so there's some players below her right now that you might expect to pass her, like Haley King, maybe Hannah Blomroos, Sarah Hokum, uh, you know, Jes- Jessica Weiss, Lisa Fakus. Uh, but you know, so far, aside from Haley King, who did not play at mm-hmm. Waco, uh, and and outperformed Ella at L V C. You know, it's Ella Hansen has outplayed those players so far.
1: I think it I think the fact that she played so well at Waco bodes really well for her. It's not a course that I would pick as a strong suit. I, I mean 17th is not exceptional, but being in ninth place, thanks to her performance at the two, I, I I could see Ella Hansen being in the top ten by the end of the season. And I think that it would be an exceptional season for her if she did.
0: Yeah. Starting to putt a little better. Yeah. Big, big, big. That's a big deal. <laughs> uh, let's see who else to discuss here. Welcome to the standings. Macy Vela Sixth six place finish at Waco to start her season. Uh, she's not registered for any other elite series events until champions cup. So still not really kind of on like full-time tour at this point. Uh, but picked up where she left off from last year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just think we need to see her on tour more in order to really, you know, qualify her as being an elite or, or contending player week in and week out.
0: Kona Panis is in thirty fourth place. Josh <laughs> has not cashed at either of the tournaments this year. Good thing year. she gets paid so well uh, from DD then. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like it, it's 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 bad. I, I I don't like, and it's not just the putting right now. She's just not playing well in any facet of the game. You know, 37th in circle one regulation. Hasn't made a circle two putt this season. Oh, my gosh. You know, just like the the, the only stat in which she's top 20 right now is scramble percentage at (laughs) 19. Is this just adjusting to new bag problems? There's a lot of spotlight on Kona, obviously, because of the size of her contract. Um, but you know, should there be a little more leash, or is it time to hit the panic button?
1: Um, I, I'm, I'm hitting the panic button. You know, last season she starts sixth place LVC, first place Waco, fourth place Open at Belton, and then Texas State's twenty sixth, but then Jonesboro fifth, DDO fifth. Um. There's no reason. There's no reason why she shouldn't have played. It's it's not even the fact that she's not doing as well as last season. It's that she is closer to the bottom of the tournament than she is to the cash line at That's Waco, right. right? Like it's it's disastrous tournament. It th- th- there's no way There's just no way around it. There's no way around you it. You cannot over exaggerate how bad Kona's season has been thus far
0: among players in the FPO division who played at both LVC and Waco Oh no. She is fourth from the bottom in the standings.
1: <laughs> and that <laughs> And she's paid you know $125,000 a year. Top
0: 5 money. She's making top 5 money.
1: That's bad that's bad charlie and here's the thing can she turn it around can she have a good tournament find her confidence and and just light up yes she can i know that she can but i'm not going to pull punches and say that this season these two tournaments thus far have been anything less than an utter train wreck for kona And you know,
0: what else is there to say? I mean, there's just no sugarcoating. There coding.
1: isn't. And here's the thing, though. She probably is still selling discs. She still has the social media. And you said this on the sub bonus. She has the relatability. She's going to talk about her struggles. She's going to talk about the grind. She's going to talk about her practice. She's going to keep showing her discs on her social media and her reels and her stories. And people are going to keep buying Kona discs because they like Kona as a person and they like hot cocoa and they like the branding that Kona has. And so I'm not even here to say, you
0: know, maybe DD,
1: like if I'm DD's front office, I'm I'm not, I'm not thrilled right now.
0: Well, you're thanking, you're thanking the Lord that Valerie Mondano <laughs> won this weekend. <laughs> but,
1: but I mean, I'm not, I don't have the sales figures in front of me and they might still be okay. So yeah, how long they stay okay though with a player who is, uh you know irrelevant on in the the leaderboard that's that's the question but i'm not willing to say that that's going to be the case the entire season yet
0: here's a fact that uh reddit user waterpalo legend pulled up over on our disc golf waco 2022 was the first tournament since the 2018 veterans park open 4 years ago to not have an innova sponsored player featured in the jomez coverage Unless you count the commentary booth. (laughs) But uh, first time in four years that no Innova player was on the lead card uh, at at a Jomez covered event. Is this cause for concern for Innova? You
1: know, it's interesting because this is something that I had not realized, right? Because, you know, Calvin doesn't play as well, but it's, it's, I think what's important when you look at Innova sales figures, right? They are the biggest company, right? They, they send discs everywhere. I can go to a sportsman's warehouse and go to a Dick's Sporting Goods, right? And I'm going to find, I don't know if you, I don't know which of those stories you have out East. Do you have a sport sportsman's warehouse? Is that a thing?
0: We don't have sportsman warehouse. Like say, I
1: know you've got dicks, but I don't know about sportsmen's. Anyway, so sportsman's warehouse like your your hunting <laughs> and uh, fishing and backpacking, and they also have a little disc golf section, right?
0: We got we got Cabela's. Okay,
1: right we've here. got Cabela's too. So think Cabela's, think just Cabela's. Right, same thing.
0: If Cabela's sold <laughs> this, that, which I don't think they do, but I, I can't say that I'm confident. That's that.
1: actually a really good descriptor of Sportsman's Warehouse. So you walk <laughs> in though, and they've just got this rack of like Valkyries, rocks, aviars, and grooves. Uh, fun fact, my first disc outside of a starter set was a groove from Sportsman's
0: Warehouse. They, they unloaded that trash on that, you, Josh. They really
1: did, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, You know, but part of that comes from when when people find Jomez and YouTube, they find Innova because Innova has always been there. It's you're always seeing Innova players. And uh you know, your commentators are innova, and then when you have you know the practice rounds with Germ and Yuli and Sexton, you're seeing a lot of innova and you're seeing Firebirds and Thunderbirds and you know that that's what you're seeing. and so it, it's it's a, I think a noteworthy milestone that Innova misses that feature card
0: yeah i I think this will not have major material impact. Obviously, this one no, tournament. Absolutely whatever. not. But but in just in general, in the general sense that Innova doesn't really have the same kind of lineup of top MPO players that they typically have and have had for the entirety of disc golf. I don't think it's going to like significantly damage their sales, but I do think it has a negative impact on their branding, on the sense of the of the brand and the company. I mean, the tagline of Innova is the choice of champions. And right now, you know, the, the players on their team that have won majors are mostly either no longer relevant on tour or are in the late stage of their career where they're probably not going to win another one. And then you have Calvin, mm-hmm. right? And you have Joel Freeman. It's not like they don't have some good players and there's some depth. They have a lot of depth. They always have a lot of depth. They have a lot of <laughs> players who are going to pop off here and there. You know, Nathan Queen won the disc golf pro tour championship, but you don't normally when you look at Innova, you look and you see they have the guy, mm-hmm. right? They have the guy for a long time. It was Klimo, Then it was Macbeth, Then it was Waisaki. Now they don't have that guy. Heinberg is that guy, but is he that guy? Hey, uh Charlie,
1: I got a stat for you. Hit me. Jeremy Colling. Now, granted, there are more starts for Jeremy Colling and Calvin Heinberg at Elite Series and Majors. But shout out to Statmando pulling these numbers for us. Calvin Heinberg and Jeremy Colling have the same number of Elite Series wins.
0: Interesting. Five <laughs> Elite Series and Majors wins over the last 10 years. Well, and Calvin, of course, has done that in the last like two years, basically three sure, years.
1: And that's true. Um, but for a guy who is the guy, I feel like the number should be a little bit higher.
0: Well, but that's what I'm right? saying. I'm
1: agreeing with you. Yeah.
0: You know, you look the, the. I'll just give you the fact. Here's the stat. This is the stats. I actually, I asked that Mando to build this page and they did. So shout out to them. It's a career elite series and major stats over the last 10 years. Macbeth has 49 wins. Waisaki has 32 wins. Eagle has 12 wins and then you get to Colling Heimberg at five. Like the separator is just massive. I mean, it's not a surprise, but like when you actually hear the numbers, it's still like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's stark. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the other players who have, you know, potentially could have stepped into those roles for Innova are, are no longer there. You know, Drew Gibson gone, obviously Macbeth left. Waisaki left kind of on ugly terms, Um, there, I I think it hurts the, the, (laughs) that not to make a pun, but the halo effect of the, the Innova brand. But the thing is, this is not the primary sales route for disc golf discs and like who's on Jomez. Like, I think it's easy to assign too much value to those kinds of things. And I think just generally there's a little bit too much value assigned to players, Throwing certain discs over others and the effect that that has, I think that there can be impact, especially for smaller brands. You know, when DGA goes out and and makes some splashy signings, like more people are going to try out DGA discs. Uh, when MVP signs James Conrad, right, that that makes an impact because they're small. But Inova, you know, it's like this the gold standard of discs. So does this really m- meaningfully chip away at their lead? maybe slowly over time, I think it's more of a general, like, are you, is this an empire in decline, right? It feels like empire in decline type things. And, you know, you can still be the empire for a while, even when you're past your peak, but it does feel like at times Innova needs to recognize like, wait a minute, we got to catch up with the current times and the way things are going now. Uh, and there's a lot of people in that company, who have been around for a long time and maybe are not that interested in modernizing. It feels pretty boomer over there. So I wonder what that's going to do long-term. I'm not super worried about like them not selling gazillions of discs still, but uh, I do think it's worth paying attention to as a kind of a bigger trend.
1: I think that the empire in decline is spot on. That's, that's an excellent descriptor of the, the way – it, it, because it's not just Innova's sales, right? We're, we're not just – you're right. Innova sells a ton of disks and they're always going to sell a ton of disks. It's the question of Innova sales relative to market potential. that Innova and market uh, uh, capture percentage? I, there's a word for this. Uh, but anyway, market share. Market share. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, yeah. Right? It's, it's Innova's market share that we're slowly seeing get chipped away at. And that I think something like not having coverage on Jomez regularly chips away at that faster. Because in the, the YouTube era where we now have professional players who are in playoff contention wins who found the sport because they watch YouTube videos. That's only going to continue to increase. And the number of amateur players who get involved because they just saw Jomez video is going to increase. And when you're only hearing about the buzz and not The Rock on Innova, then those new players are going to go find a buzz. And it chips away at market share. Uh, and, and again, Innova's not going belly up. It's not... This isn't a trend even, right? This, this may be the only tournament this happens. Calvin's still going to be in a ton <laughs> of feature cards, even if he doesn't play super well, because he's he gets feature cards. Um, but... It is noteworthy. It's a milestone that I think is symptomatic, uh, or at least just a a kind of observation of, as you mentioned, the empire in decline.
0: Paige Pierce has won 62 elite series and major events over the last 10 years. Katrina Allen, 35, Sarah Hokum, 13. I think it's interesting that both divisions have kind of this top three mm-hmm. over the last 10 years that has really separated from everyone else. Um With the top two, it's an interesting distribution because it's very similar across both divisions with like Paige and Paul really separating Katrina and Ricky very much number two. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get down to, you know, Eagle and uh, Sarah Hocum. And like even the numbers are similar. It's fascinating. Uh, Next in line for FPO, Valerie Jenkins Doss, uh, who has not been on tour for five years now, I think. Um, but she's got seven, and then Haley King with four. So think about that, right? Haley King, four wins. Paige Pierce, 62 <laughs> wins over the last 10 years. <laughs> uh, amazing. So uh, there you go. All right, really quick, we're going to do it. We've got a new little feature. We're going to start doing this after Elite Series events. Purse watch. We're going to keep an eye on how much money is going out to players. What are the kind of the money stats around tournaments? Um, quickly we'll go back to LVC total purse $71,006 with the MPO winner getting $6,000 the FPO winner getting $4,000 that was up 3% over 2021 Waco $67,798 so just a little shy of LVC MPO winner got $7,500 though so they paid a little steeper to the top not quite as much to players further down the uh, leaderboard their 2021 purse was only 55000 though, so up 22%. Uh, they were one of the lower-paying tournaments last year, so they've uh, maybe feeling the pressure a little bit of the Pro Tour and the requirements for added cash, so uh, up up pretty big since last year. And we'll be keeping an eye on this all season long.
1: Yeah, I think the, the stat I'm really excited to see and kind of follow on this uh, purse watch is going to be the Silver Series. I, I think it's going to be very noteworthy. The tournaments that are making the bids for the Pro Tour and whether or not their cash matches up to what it needs to be.
0: I do think it's going to be a pretty important factor. You know, what What are you able to do with the purse? What are you able to do with attendance? Mm-hmm. Those are going to be factors that weigh heavily in decision-making for the future about which events end up on tour. Yes. Really quick, uh, over, under, and picks. Josh, you picked Macbeth to win. Nice job. Thank you. You get the bonus <laughs> points for that. Yeah. Um, and uh man, I came close to having a great weekend, but I didn't quite get there. Like I had Evelina Kristen and Owen in my top three. Ended up only getting Kristen, but what could have been? Um I had Kayla Visca in my top three and he came so close. <laughs> Seventeen really uh took him
1: completely out with that roll away. Yeah.
0: I took uh, I got two points. Josh, you got uh was it five?
1: Uh no, I got seven. Yeah, because i got the five-point bonus for the Macbeth, and then Kristen Tatar and Valerie both give me a point. Uh, that ties us up, Charlie, 10 to 10.
0: There you so. go. And uh, I win the over-under this week. Yep. Ricky finished uh, worse than nine and a half place and uh, finished 12th. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we are tied 2-2 currently this season in the over-unders. I promise we're making a place for you to track all of our picks and perhaps even make your own picks and over-under selections Uh, We're working on it. I promise. So that is going to do it for this episode of the upshot. We'll be back with you on Thursday. And of course, we'll have our interview show tomorrow. So stick around for that. Luke Humphries will be joining us. Looking forward to talking with Luke about everything that's been going on for him uh, in his disc golf career so far. And of course, uh, this great start to the season for Josh Mansfield. I'm Charlie Eisenhut saying so long. And we'll talk to you next week. No, no. We'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the upshot.